Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. used to take forever because we used to have to give, you know, now it's like online, so everyone just gives online, so no one gives up, gets up anymore, which is good because the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and in churches, I remember people used to go up just because they want to be seen when they're giving, so I kind of like the new way of doing it, not that there's anything wrong with that, but your heart has to be correct, amen? Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, we bless you. We invite you this morning to come and increase your presence. Lord, I already, right at the beginning of worship, Lord, we felt your presence. I, I felt you in this room, Lord, and I thank you that you are here with us. Lord, I ask that you would uh, equip my weak, weak words with the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would meet this brokenness with the power of your kingdom, the kingdom of, uh, of your son, Jesus, would multiply and Remove, Lord God, everything that's not of, of him, Lord, not of me, Lord. Not of me, Lord, of him. <laughs> and I ask, Lord, that it would be all Jesus. And I ask, Lord God, for every ear to hear today, even those online watching. God, I thank you that the word of the Lord would go forth and bear fruit. I ask that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We invite you to come. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen and amen. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Uh, I know I am not Pastor George, who I love dearly, and um, and our prayers were with him. And even as we were testifying, you know, earlier testimony, I just was thinking about my message and how it just kind of it's a it changes the paradigm of the way you think. So, like for example, we could say, "Hey, there's been a lot of testing going on in the church lately." Can you guys agree? <laughs> it's like if it's not one thing, it's another. You know, it's one attack after another attack after another attack. It's like, you know, our pastor has already something that we're believing for and praying for, and all of a sudden he catches COVID, right, right when he's coming back. And it's like we could see that and, and, and get, you know, down about it. We could see that and feel, you know, or we could say our pastor has attack after attack. He's gotten COVID. He's recovering. He's doing fine from something that people have died from, and the attack that even the enemy brought against him is not even going to, bear fruit and he'll be back next week and everything's fine see the difference it's all about perception so like we can say okay here's another thing with pastor george then or we can say something the enemy has been using right he, he pastor george could have had very very poor reaction to it right he could have been he could have been out for month for a month over a month from covid a lot of people have had uh, very very hard reactions right people have died from it so my point in this is, is I'm going to be talking about the joy of salvation. I'm talking about, and I believe that as at the end of today, I hope and I pray, if Holy Spirit uh, speaks, which he will, that we're going to have a paradigm shift in the way that we just view our walk with the Lord. And, and I believe it's, uh, I don't normally say this when I preach, um, I believe this is actually a word for RCC. I normally don't say that, I don't take that for granted. Um, I, I believe this is a word for our house specifically, guys. Um, so if those that aren't here, there's a lot of people gone on the couples retreat and stuff. I really want them to hear the word of the Lord because I really believe this is a now word for what we're going through. And I wasn't, I didn't know I was preaching until a couple days ago last week. So I, I know this is the Lord. I'm telling you, this is a word of the Lord for all of us. We cannot get down because of what's happening and all the attacks that are happening on this church. That is a testimony. The devil is a liar. That's actually him revealing that God is on the move. We're looking at what the enemy is doing, and I laugh. Like, that's why God sits in heaven and he laughs. I laugh because I'm like, it's so obvious, devil. Like, you're so, you're, you're not smart. You don't have the wisdom of God. It's obvious. If we look with the right perspective, if we put the right lens on, and we see what's happening, something's going to happen in this church. We're going to be filled with joy. We're going to be filled with joy. Everybody say joy. Joy is the word I'm talking about today. Come on. Joy, joy. Remember those songs? I used to jump in the front. I used to bring a shirt to church so I could swirl it in the altar. Remember that, Joanne? Joanne used to hate that. I swirl my XXL shirt, you know, hitting people in the head with it. I didn't care. When I first got saved, that, man, that was the joy of salvation. Remember that? 
PG knows that. He remembers that. PG remembers when, when I first got saved. Boy, I was bold. I went right up to the altar. I don't care who was around. I didn't care. It's the joy of salvation, and that's the title of my message this morning. It's probably not going to be delivered the way you expect it, though, so stay tuned. Because the word I heard from the Lord was the joy of salvation. Don't forget the joy of your salvation. I, I am going to deliver it in a different way today because I believe the Lord spoke it to me. Once I heard that phrase and I started to dive into it, God started to break it down differently than I expected. So let's look into a couple verses here. Let's get into the Word of God. Are you guys excited for the Word of God? Look at Romans 14, 17. And I, as always, I apologize to Joanne and the team for the notes that I send that are always completely different and changed up and everything moves around. And so just give it up for them in the back serving. Come on. <laughs> Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Say joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. I always struggle with that verse. Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Right? Eating and drinking compared to right, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what Romans is trying to talk to us about. The kingdom of God is not about temporary fulfillment. When you eat, what happens? You eat, right? And you get fulfilled. But then what happens, I mean, for me, like about 45 minutes later, <laughs> I'm hungry again. <laughs> it's temporary. The kingdom of God is not for eating and drinking. There's another word, drinking. Another temporary fulfillment, right? Some people find that temporary uh, peace, temporary joy in drinking. In alcoholism, the Bible talks about it in Isaiah, woe to the man who wakes up and, and searches for that next drink. The kingdom of God is not in eating, temporary fulfillment, just like God says, do not worry where you're going to get your next meal from. Do not worry about what you're going to wear. Do not worry about this. For, the, for those that, are, that, don't, that don't know me, they're anxious of many things. But if I provide for even the birds of, uh, and the, you know, I provide the worms in the morning for the birds of the air, I will surely provide for you. The kingdom of God is not with eating or drinking. It's not about temporary fulfillment. This is good. I'm going somewhere. It's about peace, joy, righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're pretty good about talking about righteousness in the church sometimes, right? We're pretty good about that. We talk about righteousness. We talk about holiness. We talk about, we, this is, especially at this church, that's, if you love that about this church, put your hands in the air. Come on. Give God a shout of praise. We preach the full word of God here. We believe in conviction of sin. Hallelujah. <laughs> we believe in, 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 in righteousness and living right before God in a holy lifestyle. Are we asking you to be perfect? No, but we're asking you to try to be perfect. It's an attempt. It's a heart. It's a, it's a desire to be like Jesus, righteousness. We talk about peace a lot. That's, a lot, that's big in this church. Uh, God bringing, you know, the peace of Jesus, which is delivering you from, from all these things. You know, the, we believe in, in restoration. Uh, of, your, of, your, of your, you know, we do things like the, the, the journey uh, weekends and different things. We believe in peace in your heart and being delivered. But something we don't talk about as often is joy. I want to talk to you about this joy this morning. Joy in Scripture, a lot of times, is connected to answer prayer. Jesus said to his disciple, I, when, you, when, you, when you ask of me, your joy, when I answer your prayer, your joy will be made full. So joy and prayer is something very much connected. So a lot of times what happens in the church is actually the opposite. When we ask and we don't get answered prayer, we walk in a lack of joy. Do you see that? The reverse actually happens because it's a principle. When we get answered prayer, we get full of joy. But the other side is still true too, right? Sometimes you, you've been praying for something. Now I'm talking to RCC. You've been praying for something, and you're not getting that answer, so you lose joy. Have you ever heard someone rebuke the church with the word joy? <laughs> I'm going to do my best because <laughs> I'm rebuking my own heart. I believe God has a stern word for our congregation and for our church and for my life and for your life. 
a lack of joy because you haven't got answer to your prayers in maturity. Think about it for a second. When you have a child, when you have a kid, right out the womb, right, you're there every second. I, I, you sleep right, they sleep right next to you. But as, as they get older and older, what do you start doing? <laughs> you start, it's like, right when they start getting a little bit, you're out of, out, of the, out of the bassinet, right, into your own crib, and then they get a little older, right? Parents who have an 18-year-old, they probably know about this. You know, uh, you plan on getting a job, or you plan on getting out of this house, <laughs> right? You get a little older, you kick them out. And then you get, you know, if you're really, you know, getting a little bit older and you have your kids, you're like, really, you know, I want to travel and I can't deal with your life. I need to have my own, right, you know, empty nesters. You guys understand that too? It's funny, as, as your child grows in maturity, you almost distance yourself, but not because you don't love them. Oh, come on. Me not responding to your cry instantly and you being upset over it is a sign of immaturity. Come on. Because when you were a child, I responded quickly. When the minute you cried, I was up in the middle of the night. Now my kid cries, and they come to my room, we got a problem. <laughs> you know, you're, you're nine years old. You got a problem in the middle of the night. You better go back to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. But when you were nine months, I'm up all night, you know, doing these you know, yoga poses to put my kid back to sleep. I honestly did that. She knows it's true. I'm not lying. She would walk in the room behind me. I wouldn't know she's there, and I'd be doing, like, because I want to get my workout in, like squats holding my daughter and like I'd be doing lunges like to put them asleep because like I'm trying to get a workout while I'm putting my kid to sleep. It's so true, I promise you. There's a difference in how we respond to an immature child to a mature child. Come on. And if your joy is connected to how quickly dad responds, then you're still immature. Church. His delayed answer is not an answer that says no. His delayed answer to your prior to your prayer is not a, a lack of a answered prayer. The delay he gives you from your prayer, let's look at Daniel for a second. What happened? With, I'm in Daniel, so I, I didn't even know it was going to come out, but of course it is. Daniel prayed, and it said it took 21 days for the angel to come through the war in the heavenlies to respond to Daniel's prayer. 21 days. It says, since the day you set your heart, Daniel, it took me 21 days, but I had a war in the heavenlies with the prince of Persia to come and respond. I can imagine Daniel, as he's praying and believing, well, it doesn't, you know, day 19, 20, doesn't seem like anybody's listening. Nobody's listening. In immaturity, you want quick response. The days of quick response, the days of milk church are over. We're entering a season where God is trusting us as a mature church. You know why? Because it's unto something. What's about to come in the end times, this is, this is, I'm, 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 this is about something here. The bigger picture. What's about to come to the church in the end times. We cannot be immature with our stance that the minute we don't get what we want, what does a kid do when they, get, when they don't get what they want, PK? Throw a tantrum, right? Go in, the, you know, in a grocery, my, if we're in a grocery store and you do that, ooh, I, I mean, we get that look. Oh, my wife has got that look. You know, oh, man, it's a killer look. When they start, I mean, I don't know, they do it worse with me because I, I try, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, they got me wrapped around their fingers. But she looks at them like, you better, you don't even have to say nothing. Anybody have that Spanish mom? I don't know. I just can relate to that. Spanish mom will look at you and, like, there's, like, telepath that she says to you somehow, and you receive it and you just straighten up. And you can have your friends from school around, and they will all not understand it. You guys, you need to calm down, because <laughs> something will happen when I get home if I don't stop. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. We're talking about maturity, church. When the end times come, and things start going bad in the natural, and it looks like your prayers aren't answered, how will you respond? Because we can go from as minor as, and this is minor, and that's why the Bible calls it the, uh, uh, the, the, the mammoth of man, mammoth, that's not the word, the mammon, <laughs> finances. We can look at the, the world's mammon, and if we can't respond with our finances, why does God ask us for money? 
You know why? Because he wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. <laughs> he gave you that money. He doesn't need your money. He gave you every single penny. All he wants is your heart. And a lot of times, a lot of times the way to your heart is by releasing your money. So are you going to hold on to this? Are you going to hold on to this? We're going to talk about this here in a second. Are you going to hold on to your provision that I gave you when, because you think, oh, well, I got to, you, you make excuses, basically. And that's what's happening in the churches. And I, the reason why I bring that up is because in the end times, like I said, something as minor as finances is going to grow to something as major as the death of a child. The Bible says many will be brought into the synagogue and killed for my name. That's not me. That's the Bible, Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21. Many will be delivered unto death for my name. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This is what's coming on the church, guys. So if we can't give God something and, and release our finances, what makes you think we can release our children? What makes you think you can release your wife? I'm telling you, the spirit of the Antichrist is in the land. And what God is doing, and he's allowing all of this happening in the world right now to mature the church. It's not about you, church. It's about him. It's about him. And how far, what is your line right now? What's my line? How far can I let God have control and me feel like I'm not getting answered prayers? Is it, you know, until I get sick? Is it a child? Is it maybe my finances go bad? Where is my line in the sand that when that moment happens, now I start to curse God and turn from God. Where is that? I, I'm just speaking generally. Where is mine? What is it? Is it they touch my wife? If they touch my children? Where is the moment where I say, that's it, God. I can't stand this. You're not faithful. I'm turning away from this. I can't take it anymore. When will, where is that line in the sand, church? So, how am I talking about joy? Well, I promise you, I'm getting somewhere with this. Can you say amen? That's by faith, by the way. Amen by faith. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 15 real quick. While you're turning there, I'm going to read a quick passage. If we could put it on the screen. Acts 13, verse 22. If you could put it on the screen, I want you, church, to turn to 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to talk a little bit about David today. David is one of the best examples of what this maturity that I believe God is asking us to enter into. This maturity, I believe David is one of the best examples in the Bible. of The warning signs, the maturity, the, the judgment of God, and then the maturity of his response to God in the midst of the judgment that he right, rightfully deserves. But before that, I want to highlight a, a quick point here because I believe this is part of that rebuke that I felt from the Lord um, and I believe that we as a church need to carry and say yes to. And a rebuke isn't a bad thing. Correction is not a bad thing, guys. It's, it means your family. God says, if I don't rebuke you, you're not my child. You're, you're actually an orphan. But if I correct you, like, you know, if, if I'm in church and one of your kids are being bad, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm not looking at nobody. I'm going to keep my eyes down. If we're in church and your kids are being bad, I'm not going to correct them, right? They're not my child. But my kids are being bad, they're going to they're gonna get the look, right? I'm going to correct my child. Correction comes to your child. So if you're upset at correction, then you need to evaluate what, how you see God as Father. I'll move on. Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king, Israel. And God testified concerning David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And he would do everything I want him to do. What an amazing statement. Imagine that statement being you. I have made Matthew a man after my own heart. Imagine if that was your, you in the Bible and God said that about you. <laughs> I have made Keith a man after my own heart. Imagine if your name is in that statement from God. Amen. Prophetically, yes. <laughs> but imagine what that, like that, is one of the most powerful, beautiful, like, I don't want anything, like, I don't want reputation, I don't want a whole chapter, right, the book of David, you know, almost, it's like, no, I just want God to say, I'm a man after his heart, what a beautiful testimony of your life, what a beautiful testimony, I mean, 
I can guarantee that he would, if he was here today, David, he would testify that that's one of the, that is the highlight of his life, not being king, not killing Goliath. I mean, that's an amazing moment. Killed Goliath, this David. These moments that David did so many great things, I guarantee the best of all of them is when God said, that's a, that boy, that man is a man after my own heart. What an amazing testimony for David. But what I want to highlight is the difference, real quick, as I move forward, because I, I wasn't going to do this, but I felt it's necessary. The difference between Saul and David, obviously. Many of you have heard this comparison before, so don't tune me out. It's going to be short, but I do have to say it for those of you who have never heard it. So real quick, in 1 Samuel 15, if you notice in that Acts 13 verse I just read, it said, after removing Saul, God said David, right? So God first had Saul in the place of, as the first king of Israel. And then God removed Saul, and he placed David as king. What was it about Saul that was different than David? What was the difference? Because David is a, a man after God's own heart, so it's almost fair to say Saul was maybe not. In that same passage, God removed Saul and placed David because David was after his heart, and Saul was no longer after his heart. Well, what happened? Well, we, we know the story, but I do want to highlight it real quick. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel comes to Saul, and he says, verse 1, the Lord sent, and if, if it's not on the screen, guys, just use your Bibles, please stick with me here so I don't have to kind of worry about that. Um, but verse 1, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the Lord. Thus the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. This is Samuel's word from the Lord to Saul. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, and he was ambushed on the way. Now, verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all, everyone say all, that he had and do not spare them. So the whole story goes on. Verse Verse 8 goes, Saul is victorious in his um, battle with Amalek, but verse 8 shows a problem. He also took King Agag, who there also it said not to, um, well, let me, let me go back, I'm sorry. Go to verse 4 again. So, so that's verse 3. So now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all, both kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, I know that's different, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So when God said kill all, remove all, all means all. <laughs> it's, it's not much more to it. So God's word to Samuel, to, to Saul, was kill all of Amalek. Do not spare anything. There's a reason why he said that. You might under, not understand Saul, but there's a reason. But in verse 8, it says he took Agag, the king of the Amal Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. So even though God told Saul to destroy everything, he kept, in his eyes, what was the best. In his eyes. So he made a natural response. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. Oh, remember that? kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. He kept what he felt was necessary for his kingdom, he kept it alive even though God said to destroy it. That's disobedience. Now, Samuel responds to this in verse 17, and this is the key here. In verse 17, Samuel says to Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king. Now the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, go and uh, destroy everything and fight against them. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Here's the problem. And I've been trying to get to here. And we're here now. When you were little in your own eyes, that's the rebuke of the Lord. When you were little in your own eyes, before God gave you the favor with your job, before God gave you the favor with your church, before God gave you all the favor that you have had in your life, when you were little in your own eyes, when, also known for that is humble, when you were humble in your own sight, you obeyed the voice of the Lord. But something happened along the line, church of the body of Christ in the United States of America. Something happened when you were little from that point to this point 
that I now speak and you don't obey. We're going back to somewhere here in a second. Like I said, the name of the message is the joy of your salvation. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. The kingdom of God is not all that you receive when you ask. The kingdom of God is not all the benefits and the blessings of God that come in response to his mercy and not because he's Lord. What does that mean? I heard a phrase this morning from the Lord. I think we have a, as a quote. We can put it up there. Listen to this. It is his desire, God. I don't know if we have it up there, but listen closely. It's his desire, the Lord, to give good gifts, but it's not what makes him God. A father loves to give good gifts to his children. This is his character, but it's not what makes him God. When we expect gifts or answers to prayer as is proof of lordship, we have built ourselves as an idol before him. When we expect gifts or answers to prayer, I don't, I, it doesn't matter how long you've been asking. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed it. I'm, this is not, you can't just take this and throw the baby out with the bathwater. We could teach you about the, the beauty of prayer. The Bible says no man who asks with doubt or the double-minded man will receive anything from the Lord. Ask in faith. Believe for it. Absolutely. This is not the teaching to tell you about how to pray or prayer of faith. That's a different day. This is a teaching about the maturity in your response to unanswered prayer when God doesn't respond the way you think he responds. Oh. Here's the problem with the church, and that's what this statement, this was, I was, I literally heard this entire phrase from the Lord and did an audio because I heard this phrase. The problem with the church is that we want God to prove he's real by answering our prayers. And if he doesn't answer, we, we take that as proof that he's not real and he's not a Lord. I'm telling you, this is a cancer in the body of Christ. This is a cancer in the body of Christ. Hear the Spirit of the Lord this morning. The bless me message of 20 years ago, the bless me message of all these years in the ministry has now created a cancer 15, 20 years that's in stage three, stage four, and God's having to do immediate surgery to pull out a cancer that was from years ago that has been foundation in the body of church in America for many years. The bless me message. The ask it, claim it, proclaim it, you'll receive it the next day with, with everything. That message from 20 years ago when I got saved, that everyone just kind of, well, okay, no big deal. 20 years that has been growing dormant in the body of Christ like a cancer. And God has brought it to the place now where it's time to remove the cancer. Because he needs to save us. He needs to save us from us. What did 2020 do for you? What is 2021 doing for you? We're still here. We still have chance. We still have a season of mercy to respond. But when you ask for something and you don't get it the way it's supposed to look, how will you respond? Because that's the difference, church. The difference is how do you respond when it doesn't look the way you want? Because you put God and say, all right, God, I need three confirmations. <laughs> if you want me to go, you got to do this. If you got to do this, we start these, we make God like we're supposed to just say something and God's supposed to do it. And he's looking back like, is that how my kingdom works? kingdom of God is not by eating or drinking. If they say you can't shop because you don't take a mark of the beast, if they say you can't work because you don't take the mark of the beast, that's where this is headed. Jesus said, consider it, well, Jesus didn't say it, Peter said it, consider it joy to suffer persecution for my name. There's that word joy, but we did not like that joy. We don't want that joy. <laughs> I told you joy, not the way you think it. Consider it joy. The disciples were rejoicing when they were beaten for the gospel and considered themselves worthy to be persecuted for his name. We're not there. We're not there. We're not there. What is it going to look like when you're in jail and you're praying and you don't get taken out? 
Well, I know when Peter was in jail, the church prayed, and the jail cell, well, what happens if the jail cells don't open? Peter didn't pray to, for the jail cells to open. Peter was just rejoicing in God and worshiping God in his persecution, in his test, in his unanswered prayer. He was there faithfully, and then it's the same thing in, in the book of Daniel. They said, I'm gonna, we're going to raise up this idol. If you don't, if you don't worship this image, then you're going to be tossed into the um, burning, fiery flame. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what did they say? They said, surely we will not bow down to this image because the Lord God will deliver us. But even if he does not, we surely will not bow down. That's my prayer to you this morning. Yes, pray your prayer. But even if he does not answer the way you think he answers, what will you do? It goes back. It goes back to the joy of your salvation. I have a question. If God never answers your prayer, what will you do? If, he never, if you knew today, to the end of your life, whatever you're believing for, if you, and you, you never heard the answer to that prayer, is he still worthy to be praised? What do we sing this morning? In the evening, he is good. In the darkest hour, that's the evening, he's good. When In the morning, when the sun is rising, right, everything is great. God is good. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed. I mean, how many, some of you guys might be doing it like one of the mountain times, like it's the morning season for you where it's like beautiful, everything's great. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about, attacks. I don't have any attacks right now. Everything's awesome. I just got a raise. I got a new promotion. I'm making the most money. The morning. In the morning, he is good. In the evening, he is good. There is an evening coming. It may not be in your personal life right now, but it's coming corporately. In the last days, there will be gross darkness upon the people. There will be deep darkness over the land. But God will arise over them. He will shine over them. There is coming a dark season, church. We have to grow up from our infant stage of immaturity, which we ask God for something, and he responds the way we say he responds, or we, he didn't respond, he didn't answer. You know how many people are offended at God because they didn't get the answer to their prayer? In the last days, many will be offended. Look real quick with me. Let's keep going here. Second Samuel. I'm going to dive a little bit more into a teaching aspect here real quick. You guys okay? Still friends? We're still cool? Everybody all right? Do I still get a handshake after service? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm receiving this rebuke myself, man. I, I promise you. Let's just look at David real quick. I want to paint this picture because I want to show an uh, 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 attribute of God that I believe is highlighted in this story that brings us to the point of understanding the joy of our salvation. And it's David and Bathsheba. Many of us have heard this story, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1. I'm going to jump right into it. Follow me. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged them. But David remained in Jerusalem. So at the time when kings go out, David did not go out. It started first. See, the, the, the sin that's about to take place here in David's life started in his heart, started with his lack of involvement of what was happening in his kingdom. He began to isolate himself. And this is where the devil rages. This is where the devil finds a foothill. foothold. This is where the devil finds you in an opportune time because the, the, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He finds David in a season where he's in the wrong place. He's in the wrong place. See, David is a great example of us. David has that story, right, that roller coaster, you know, where he desires to be in the house of the Lord, and he starts to tell all these moments. But, you know, and we know about this moment of David's life, but I believe this is one of the most important moments because it shows David's response later to God's judgment in his life and to God's lack of answer to his prayer. I'm getting there. But before that, David sees it says here in verse 2, And then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. 
The woman, woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about her, and we know the story. From there, they, uh, Bathsheba, I always mess up her name, Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant. David finds out. He invites her husband, Uriah, tries to make him drunk. Okay, read the story in your own time. Tries to make him drunk to fall asleep with her to pretend like it was his baby. So now in his sin, he's now lying. He's now manipulating. He's now doing just the darkest. Po I mean, how does, now I want to remind you, a man after my own heart. <laughs> I'll just stop for a second and just remind you of that Acts 13, 22 verse. Wait, what, wait, what? <laughs> have, uh, have you ever killed somebody? You don't have to answer. <laughs> you know who can relate to this? Murderers on death row. I'm, I'm just being real here. You know who can relate to this? You can't relate. Your sin and the darkest thing that you've ever done can't relate to this. Right? In our own eyes, right? Kind of. Because I don't know before the Lord, it's sometimes all the same. But the people that can relate to this is actually someone that's murdered someone before. <laughs> I mean, you think about the guy in death row, and we were like, oh, oh, oh. We want nothing. God doesn't want that person. This is who he's dealing with. <laughs> A murderer. But you, you struggle because of your sin, and you don't want to come to church because you feel unclean. <laughs> That's a whole nother preaching. David murders Uriah, the Hittite. Murders him. Puts him on the front of the line. Has the, the army he's with retreat and let him die. After this guy was faithful, by the way, if you read the story, he was a great soldier. He didn't even want to go to be with his wife because he couldn't stand to be with his wife while his soldiers were in battle. He laid at the outside of David's door. I mean, the best soldier, guys. David was, here's the key, selfish. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The root of all sin is selfishness. Me, me, me. It's all about me. Look at the person next to you say, it's not about you, honey. <laughs> it's not about you, honey. Because you know what? When the minute it starts becoming about you, now sin is bearing root in your life. Satan said on the, in, the, in the kingdom of God, on the mountaintop, if I can be like the most high, right? Sin, birth, in Ezekiel, we see it. I can be like the most high. And he was tossed out of the heavens. I is the root of all sin. David, a man after God's own heart, had the same problem as you. <laughs> you got a problem, just so you know. I'm looking at you. I'm trying to be nice. You got a problem. I got a problem. It's called me. It's our biggest war. Turn your page to Samuel, 2 Samuel 12. So David does all these things, and God's basically now trying to get his attention back. Samuel comes to him and tells him a story. He said, this is now back. I want you to relate this to what happened with Saul. So there was, a, there was a pattern. Hear this. There was a pattern about somebody who receives from lowliness, gets lifted up, gets glory, honor, and power. There was a pattern God saw that when they get that glory, honor, and pattern, uh, uh, power, their eyes, in their own eyes, they become prideful and it becomes about themselves. God saw that in Saul, remember? When you were little in your own eyes, right? When you were humble, you became king, but now you're just, you don't obey my voice. Then he sees it happening again in David. So he's trying to get David's attention here. The Lord sends Nathan to David. And the Lord says, and David says to him, or Samuel says to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and another poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, verse 3. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which had been bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup, and it laid in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Like, just imagine your favorite pet. I got some dogs that I just, man, those are my, like my kids. Some of you guys are crazy. Like, some of y'all cook food for your dog on the, on the, on the stove. I know y'all crazy is out there. There's some of y'all out there cooking your dog breakfast. I've seen it before. I'm going to move on. It's true. I've seen some of y'all. You got your dog's food in the fridge. It's crazy. Let's move on. And a traveler came to a rich man who refused to take from him his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare for the way, uh, wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb 
instead of the, the rich man who had a bunch, he took the poor man's best friend. You know, it's not a dog's best friend. It's a lamb's best friend here. And he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. David was angry with this story. He's like, it's not fair that the man that was rich didn't give up his lamb, but he took it from the poor man. David's upset. He doesn't understand. Obviously, it's a trick. Come on, when a prophet starts telling you a story, y'all should know. <laughs> it's a trick. Well, you know, some of you guys, you know, you, we got the prophetic teams happening. You're going to go in there, and it's going to be a story, and it's a lot of times going to be a rebuke. <laughs> it's a story to remind you, to bring you back. Again, say joy of my salvation. It's bringing you back to a place of humility. And then in verse 7, Nathan finally lets, the, you know, the cat out of the bag. He says, David, you are this man. And the Lord God of Israel anointed you and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you everything. Your master's wives, you had all these women. Back then you were allowed to do that. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I almost got caught up here because I thought about, you know, how many men make the dumb joke like, well, if I had concubines and, you know, like the Old Testament. It's funny. David had concubines. He had wives. But he still wanted the one girl he was not allowed to have. Isn't that funny? No matter how many women. Why? Because it's a root problem. It's something about me. I'm not allowed to have, I have all this that would you would think satisfy me, but it's, I'm not allowed to have that, which that means it's about me. Back to the garden, Adam and Eve, that reminds me, you can have all of these trees, but just don't have the one I didn't tell you to have. David could have all the women, just can't have that one because she's married. That's adultery. But something in his heart, which is selfishness, I. So what happened in Saul started happening in David. But again, we go back to the point of a man after my own heart. Why? It's not because of this story that he's a man after God's own heart. It's, it's because of what's about to take place that he's a man after God's own heart. So let's look at it. Look at verse 19. We're going to keep going. I'm going to try to skip through it quickly here. So David saw that his servants were whispering because David was now praying. I'm going to read it quickly. David was praying now for his son that was born in adultery, that was birthed in adultery, conceived in adultery. And now God, through Nathan, says that God is going to judge him and he's going to lose his child. So because of his sin, there is now repercussion. Now there is judgment, and the judgment is the child that's been conceived is going to die. So David begins to pray. David begins to cry out to the Lord. Verse 19, he sees his servants talking and whispering. This is days and days. And, they, and he, he asked them, is the child dead? And they said to him, he is dead. And they were scared to tell David because David wasn't eating. He wasn't drinking. He was, he was not okay. Anybody been in that place before? Well, a place of desperation. A place of, man, if if God doesn't answer my prayer, right? I mean, I can't tell you, I, I can't relate to this. I've never been in this situation, but I can't imagine David, who he's got so much control, so much authority, so much power, but he can't control this. He can control hundreds of thousands of soldiers. He can control kingdoms. People bow at his word. He can control finance. He can control famines and, and where food goes. He can control everything but he can't control this one thing that's out of his control. God now has found it. And he cries out, and he asks God for mercy. We need this story, guys. We need it. And the child still dies. So is God unfaithful? Is God unfaithful? This is what I pose this question. And I try, to, I try to find something as, as the, the hardest situation where you would think God would answer, right? Your child, and God doesn't answer. And then the question is posed to you are, you, are you offended that God did not answer? Because this is where we're going. Things are going to happen. I'm not trying to bring fear in your life. I'm trying to warn you and to help you get to a place where no one can, can put you in a situation where you would curse God and turn from him. 
That's my biggest fear. I'm like, I have so much love for my daughters. Like, I'm like, someone, if I was in a situation where it was like, choose them or renounce God, like imagine, imagine that situation. I'm not ready for that. I don't think I am, but I need to get ready. I need to get ready because what's coming on the earth is going to put us in a situation where it's going to look like God's not answering prayers. It's going to look like it, but it's not true. We know the word of God says that his promises are yes and amen, right? That doesn't say like every single time you ask or prayer, he's going to answer it exactly the way you say it. It means his promises. His promises are yes and amen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Just because he doesn't answer a prayer in the time frame that you give him to answer a prayer doesn't mean he's not faithful. David is dealing with this. Verse 20, so David arose from the ground. Okay, this is, this is now the difference between Saul and David. And this is where we need to get to, this place. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the worst of the worst. Again, your worst is not this bad. <laughs> you never killed a guy, right? Probably, <laughs> hopefully. <clears throat> Ushers, <laughs> pay attention. You've never, your worst is not even this worst. And how does he respond in this worst situation that we can never really relate to. David arises from the ground, washes himself, anoints himself, changes his clothes, and he goes to the house of the Lord. Oh, that could preach. And he worships. David, a man after my own heart. His child dies. He doesn't get his answer to prayer. And he goes to the house of the Lord, and he worships. Whoa. You think the church of America is in this place of maturity? You think the church of America is ready to see something so tragic happen in their life, and their response is worship? Turn to Psalm 51. Oh, Jesus, we need this, Lord. We need to grow quickly during this season. The hour is urgent, and our time is short, and we have to mature quickly, church. The days of counting how many times we get attacked at RCC, I hope are over after today. I don't care how many attacks we have. I don't care. I don't care how many attacks we have. I don't care how many times we've prayed for certain somebody and they haven't been healed. I don't care how many. It doesn't matter anymore. God is faithful. And I have joy in my heart no matter the outstanding circumstances. Why? Because my joy is not founded on my circumstances. My joy is founded in salvation. Think about that scripture real quick. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quote it real quick. Think about that passage when the disciples, Luke 10, verse 17, it says they returned from doing ministry with joy, but their joy was not the joy that God wants them to have. Their joy was in the power that they were walking in. Again, we've got a problem in the church. Not only was it a bless me message and a prosper message for the early 2000s and 1990s and all those years, that was a cancer. There was another problem, the Hollywood superstar preacher. He takes joy in the hand claps and the approval of man and now the next preacher that comes up after him now takes joy in the same thing because from the head it flows down. And we've created a cycle of church Christians and preachers and ministers that love the joy of their gift and not the joy of their salvation. Jesus saw this in his disciples. In Luke 10, verse 17, they return with joy. Not joy that they were voices for the kingdom, not joy because they look like Jesus, not joy because they walk with Jesus. Joy because it says they returned and said that demons are subject to them. Their gifts, their power, the authority. Remember Saul? Remember David? Look at, look, all throughout the Bible, look at Solomon. The Bible says when Solomon was such a great king, the most richest billionaire, billionaire, trillionaire you ever heard of, and when he got all that riches, the Bible says the women started to pull his heart away from the Lord. 
That's why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Because you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's a broken old man Solomon returning back to God. And his word and his warning to you is this. All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Nothing is worth God. I've done it. I've had it all. I've tried it all. That sound like wisdom to you? Isn't that what we try to do as parents to our kids? To try to save them from the, the mistakes we made? Look, I've done this. I've played that game. I've walked that route. I've done it. It's not going to be worth it. Your pleasure you get from that lifestyle is not going to be worth it. I've been there, done that. Come on, can somebody attest to that? Solomon's trying to warn us in Ecclesiastes as well, saying, I've had it all, all the riches, all the women. I've done it all. And guess what? Nothing is new under the sun. It's all vanity. It's a a flower in the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's quickly passing. The me that we care about, the me David cared about, the selfishness that he had when he went after a woman that was married, that root sin, what's in the church, which is all about me, that right there, that right there is not worth it, is what Solomon is saying. It's not worth it. Jesus saw that in the disciples, and he said something powerful. He says, do not rejoice in the authority you have over scorpions, serpents, and the power of the enemy, nothing of anything will hurt you. Don't rejoice over the authority and the power that I've given you. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of heaven. Wait, wait, wait hold on, Jesus. That's my foundation of joy? Yes. That's why I started with that sentence, <laughs> with that big old triple XL I used to have. Come on, God, joy, joy. Harvest is cut. I mean, get ready for revival. Remember that, PK? <laughs> Rachel knows. We used to be in the front going crazy, waiting for all the songs to drop and dance. And, and I remember last week when we were praying and worshiping, I felt that, and I read Psalm 34. Bless the Lord at all times, RCC. Bless the Lord at all times. In the morning, in the evening, guys, it's not about what you're going through. It's not about the unanswered prayer. It's not about the attacks of the enemy. God is good. He's good because he saved you from hell. Think about that. Don't rejoice in the power you have over the enemy. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. You have access to heaven. He's already done enough to make you rejoice, church. The very fact that he has saved you from eternal damnation and separation from God, where the Bible says the, the, the worm doesn't cease, doesn't sleep, where the Bible says there will be gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about your eye if that's the case. Pluck your eye out if that's what's going to save you from going to hell. I mean, understand what he saved you from. Understand that he never has to answer another prayer, and he's already faithful. Because your name is written in the book of life. So this attitude of God has to answer this or he's not God is immaturity in the body of Christ. It's the baby, wah, in the middle of the night. And if worship team could come up. It's the baby in the middle of the night crying, Mommy answers immediately, but the older that baby gets, the more independent it needs to become. The more independent of of daddy or mommy's immediate comforting, right? The minute the baby cries, we comfort it. We do everything we can to comfort it because it's immature. It doesn't understand yet. But as you grow in Christ and you have the word of God in you and you're still whining like a baby, David's response in Psalm 51 is, is, I think, what I want to end here with. And to me, it's, it's the point of why God is doing what he's doing. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But what I'm saying is, is it's God. you believe that? It's God. He's either sovereign or he's not. And if it's God, then how are we going to respond to it? Maybe, maybe, possibly, there's some sin in our life. Maybe, possibly, I'm just throwing this out there, like David, right? Maybe, possibly, I'm going through what I'm going through because I have fallen short 
and God is trying to pull me back up and get my attention? What if God treated the church as a whole? Don't think of yourself. What if God is allowing us to go through something to turn our eyes back to him like David? Psalm 51, verse 1, let's read it. Have mercy on me, O God. You guys okay? You all right? Give me five more minutes. I'm not PG, so it should be accurate. <laughs> but I have been discipled by him my whole life. Anyways, Psalm 51. <laughs> have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Here's cry. Now, I want to bring you to the context. I built up that whole message. You're not going to get all of it right now. You're going to have to come to this Psalm 51 in your own time. But you have some context now of what this passage is. Psalm 51, this cry from David, the context of it is his son just died, and he woke up. Remember I told you he got up, shook himself off from unanswered prayer. He cried out to God, prayed, fasted. God didn't answer. He got up, he went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped, and Psalm 51 came out. The context is a, a life of, of first immaturity by him, pride that he forgot where he came from, the good old David in the hills of Jerusalem playing the guitar, singing love songs to God where no one knew David's name. Even when Samuel came looking for him, his dad said, these are all my sons. He forgot them. <laughs> he forgot one of his sons. If his own father didn't remember him, you think anybody else knew him? He was hidden in the eyes of man. He was hidden in the eyes of himself. He was humble. He was faithful. He was faithful to, to play his guitar and, 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 and to shepherd the sheep that God had given him. He was faithful with the little. So God was trusting him with the much. He was faithful when he was little in his own eyes. Then as he got lifted up, right? Speaking of myself. As I got lifted up, as I got more ministry, as I got more popular, as I uh, knew more of the Bible, so I felt my, I was more spiritual. Oh, that's a Pharisee's heart right there, I tell you. The heart of a Pharisee is, I know more of this, so I'm more spiritual. I know more of this now, so, you know, I don't really have the same relationship with God I used to have because I have more of a relationship with this. Jesus is like, you look in the pages of Scripture and feel like you're going to find life there. Your heart is wrong. The more you knew, knowledge, more you know, knowledge puffs up. David, I remember you, David, when you were nobody in the hills of Bethlehem, when you worshiped me and no one knew your name. I remember you, David. I want to return this back to you. So David's response, Psalm 51, look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. That is not condemnation. That is not a man who doesn't understand the forgiveness of God. That is a man who understands that it's not by his own strength. It's not because how good he is. It's the opposite. It's mercy. Mercy. It's the mercy of God to respond. It's the mercy of God to cleanse you of your sin. Every morning his mercies are new. Verse 10, obviously here is the highlight. You've heard this verse probably before. But put this on your heart. Let it go deep in your soul, guys. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. He's returning back to the Lord. He's returning back to the heart that he had when he was in the hills of Bethlehem. He's returning back to when he, no one knew his name. Restore in me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast away me from your presence. Do you see the difference between Saul and David? Saul, when he got caught of his sin, he told Nathan, don't rebuke me in front of the people. He told David, uh, Nathan, don't rebuke me in front of the people. Don't re uh, to Samuel, sorry. Don't rebuke me in front of the people. Uh, rebuke me privately because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of the people. David could care less. He throws everything aside. He says, create in me a clean heart. All I care about is this one, one uh, uh, request, oh God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your presence, the thing I had when it all started, and it was all I had. Take your, I want you to take your place. Your, you right now, you, take, what is your hills that no one knew your name? 
What was the beginning of your journey with God when no one, when you didn't know all this and know all that, and no, you didn't do this and do but all you had was him? The joy of your salvation, the joy of that first place. He's like, I, I, I don't, you can get rid of everything, but give me the first thing you gave me when it all started. Take away everything I have gained from that moment of worshiping you in the hills when Samuel poured the oil on my head. From that moment, everything I've gained from there, you could have. But don't take the thing that I had when I first started with you, your presence. This is the cry of a person that has not have answered prayer. He's responding with returning back to where he started. We know in Revelation, Jesus says, you've, you've forgotten your first love. Repent from where you have called, uh, fallen from and return to the first things. Remember when Adam came and preached recently, a couple weeks ago. That was what God spoke to him. He says, I remember you in the kindness of your youth. I remember you when it was early on and all you wanted was me. It's the word for us. Verse 12 is our heart. We're going to end with this. Stand if you, if you can with me. Psalm 51 verse 12 is my prayer for RCC. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how God's going to do it. But it's time for us to pick up our heads and walk with confidence and joy of our salvation. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter how many tests come because I can guarantee you this. The tests aren't stopping. The attacks aren't, attacks aren't stopping. They're going to continue. And honestly, biblically, they're probably going to get worse. But what they can't steal from you, the kingdom of God is not eating, drinking. It's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness. What the enemy can't steal from you is the kingdom. The kingdom on the inside, the joy of your salvation. Look at that verse, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, your salvation, how you saved me, God. Restore to me the joy of salvation. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord here for a second. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to end with that. This is our prayer today. This is our prayer for our house, that God will restore to us the joy of our salvation, that when people get to know who I am, there's something different about me. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I don't walk in my job with my head down. I don't walk in a Sunday service because I had a tough week. I don't go cancel, uh, uh, you know, hanging out with uh, Christian friends. I don't not go here or there because I had a tough week or I'm going through attacks. We got to get over this. We got to step, step into maturity. Step into a heart that God could say, that person has a heart after me. Like David, that when he went through something, and it, when it was the worst of the worst, and, my, and he didn't get answered prayer the way he thought he would. Now, just so you know, God is always going to do something. Even though he didn't get answered to that prayer, later on, he had a son who was named Solomon. And Solomon became that promise, that restoration. See, God is always good. See, God is faithful. So in that moment where David was praying and it looked like his son died, David didn't know Solomon was going to be next. David didn't know that one day Solomon, his son, from the same woman, would actually be the very uh, 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 lineage that would come Jesus' lineage. <laughs> Wait, hold on. The lineage of Jesus, our Savior, came from the son of that was returned promise and the answer to the worst of the worst of David. His son dies, he responds in worship, and then all of a sudden Solomon comes, and by Solomon, Solomon's lineage came Jesus. And the, the promise, the fulfillment of the promise, of the prophetic promise to David, which that God would build his kingdom on David's throne, came through Solomon. Oh, I just got that. Wow. God is the great restorer of the promise. He is faithful. It may not look the way you think it looks. It may not feel good at the moment, 
But if you respond with worship and a heart like David and return to the point of your salvation, every time something bad happens, this is your strategy to not be offended in God. Can you say amen to that? Let's worship the Lord. Let's let this come deep in our hearts. Father, we say yes. Restore the heart and the joy of salvation, God. We don't rejoice because we have a full room at RCC. We don't rejoice in a building that you gave us, even though it's amazing. We don't rejoice, Lord God, in everyone knowing how great and how many good things we do here as a ministry. We rejoice in you, in our salvation. We keep it simple. No matter what we go through, God. Yeah, yeah. Come on, sing that to the Lord. In the dark, in the evening, in the morning. It doesn't matter the season, God. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.